Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. And welcome back for another Zoom recording of our Zoom. podcast. Zoom, Zoom. It uh, reminds me of um, Protozoa from the movie Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. It was like, Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. You make my heart go boom, boom. My supernova <laughs> girl. I was just thinking Zoom's getting a lot of free advertising from everybody just doing so many Zoom calls. So yeah, you're welcome, Zoom. It's a good day to work for Zoom. So I felt like it was, I feel like this is a great time to have this conversation. We have a friend of the podcast, an acquaintance, and also a Denver, a fellow Denver person on the show today, Brianna Firestone. So she's a financial educator, a personal financial educator, and we're going to have a bunch of questions answered about finances. Right now, we are going through a pandemic. Don't know if you guys heard that. But we also are going through something that is pretty profound in the United States, which is a lot of people on unemployment. Last I read was like 10 million, unheard of, unheard of, just so, so tragic. So I felt like this was, when you reached out to us, Bree, I immediately was like, yes, let's have this conversation because not only maybe it's just my own feeling, but just the way you're brought up a lot of times, you're just kind of hardwired to that's how you think about money. And then you all of a sudden find yourself in this scenario where you're like, what do I do now? I don't know if I have the tools and you're just either maybe living paycheck to paycheck or you don't have savings or whatever the case may be in your life. Sometimes I feel like we're, we don't know how to deal with it until we're kind of forced to deal with it. And I may be just feeling a little bit biased just as a woman. I feel like we're, I'm speaking for myself, less educated around money. It doesn't tend to be something we're like always just jazzed to figure out. So I am excited to have you on the show. So thank you for joining us today. Tell the listeners in just a quick snapshot how you became a financial educator and with personal finances. And also, I know you are also doing a job as director of marketing strategy and insights. Yes. I'd love to hear a quick snapshot of that before we get into questions too. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here. I will talk to anyone about money if they will listen. And so I created the School of Betty, which is my platform where I mostly teach individuals who identify as women how to eliminate money stress, take care of that debt so that they can actually start to focus on the things that are really important to them and build a really awesome life. We underestimate how much stress we put on ourselves, on our bodies, um, when we are worrying about money. And I created the School of Betty because in my 20s, in my early 20s, I lived in New York City and I was living that credit card YOLO life, charging it up. I, oh my gosh, but, I, but that sounds so fun. So <laughs> So fun. I just <laughs> discovered Starbucks. I discovered all these things um, that I didn't have growing up in a small town in Missouri, in like a little farm town. And I I racked up over um, over $30,000 of credit card debt by the time I was 23. I had $20,000 in student loans, which right now that sounds like a drop in the bucket compared to so many individuals with student loans. And I barely made $30,000 a year. And I had this moment um, when my boss was talking about her credit score and I had no idea what she was talking about, which is a tragedy at, you know, 23 years old and not knowing what that was. And so I looked at my credit score and you know, they tell you if it's really good or really bad and they tell you all the reasons why <laughs> so right. it was this really big aha moment for me. And I had grown up surrounded by individuals that really struggled with their money. And I remember telling myself, I am never going to be that person. But what I didn't realize is that I didn't know anything different. Everything I was surrounded by what I heard, the actions I saw, 
how my um, parents or individuals around me interacted with money was only teaching me how to just kind of not have a good relationship with yeah, my but money. Yeah, but that's everyone's experience, right? It I don't really everyone's. know. I don't know, at least in my circle of friends, I don't know many people who are like, from day one, I was really educated on how to do my finances. It's like, it's just- right, And I felt nothing, but I felt no shame around about. my money habits ever. And I yeah. never, you know, I never had a drop in my stomach checking my bank account. <laughs> I just, yeah, I feel like I don't know anyone who's like, I have maybe like one person who's a literal professional financial advisor who's like, I have a complete handle on my finances. Yeah, but we actually grow up expecting to be really skilled at our finances. So you often hear that I'm 30 or I'm X age. I should know how to do this, yeah, it's but we're not like, taught. I almost feel like it's like how we're not all taught how to like be in a romantic relationship. I feel like we, you, you just grow up and you expect like, oh, like this just comes with the territory. Eventually I will arrive at a point in my life where like this knowledge will be bestowed upon me and I'll just know what to do. And I'm, and then the rest, and then like you get to be, you know, third in your thirties and forties and you're like, okay, I was wrong. And I still don't know what a 401k is. Yeah. Are you like watch the, true. watch the Disney movies of of what a romantic relationship looks like, and then you're like, oh, that's gonna happen. It's the same thing with finances. You're like, you see all the movies, the chick flicks of people, you know, the the women in New York City flying down the street in business suits, and you're like, that's gonna be me. It tells you nothing about finances. <laughs> totally, it's so, a total fantasy for sure. Yeah. Okay. So so let's start. What are the things? Let me let me pull up your questions here. They are the the topics that I wanted to run by with you because I truly feel like actually finish your bio because I just realized I interrupted you. So go ahead and finish your quick snapshot of you and how you kind of started uh, School of Betty. Yeah. Well, I had that moment where I just recognized that I was doing what I never wanted to do, which was, you know, I had a really awful relationship with my money. I was struggling with it. It was stressful. I had credit card debt. And I just decided at that moment, I have to figure this out. And I created an Excel sheet and I just started paying off my credit cards. I didn't realize at the time I was doing a snowball. I kind of just what I did what worked for my brain, which was I'm going to pay the smallest credit card off first because that's going to feel really good. And I did that. I paid all that credit card debt off in less than two years. And from there, I would just talk to any of my friends who would listen like, hey, it's not that hard to create a budget. I'm going to show you how to do it. And I started to do that. And then when my husband and I moved to Denver, we've been here almost 13 years now, but there was a moment we were, he was laid off and I wasn't working at the time. We had this really weird shift. And what happened was we bought our house and then we got really relaxed about that savings account, right? Because when you save for a house, it's like a big chunk of money. And we found ourselves in a financial pickle. And so I decided I have to do something pretty drastic right now in order to help us. One, I got to get a job. Two, um, I gave up shopping for a year. And that sounds really drastic for me because I was basically at Ross and DSW every weekend. And I still kind of lived like I was working in PR, which is where I, PR and architecture and design, but I didn't have anyone to wear that for because I wasn't working. But I right. was still You're shopping. Like, I still right? love shopping just in case I get that job again. Totally. 
And that year was profound. That year connected these pretty amazing dots for me. And that was, holy smokes, my emotions, my habits and behaviors are the thing driving my spending and my relationship with my money. And we're always taught that it's logical. And I just had this really profound, like, holy smokes, I have to tell people about this because you just kind of go into this space of realizing what you do have, how much privilege you have, what is available to you, how much abundance is in your life. And because you're not shopping, you don't necessarily have those tools to help you soothe or um, celebrate, right? Because we do that a lot. We're in a moment right now, right? Easter is a holiday right now. I grew up buying a new outfit for Easter. So we kind of learn these habits as we grow up. And right now in this space that we're in, everyone is, we don't have the options to avoid our feelings and our emotions and things that were normally available to us when we could just walk outside of our door and go to a coffee shop or meet with our friends. And so that giving up shopping for a year was a game changer for me. And that is when I started to develop the school of Betty. Um, It's almost three years old now. And that's where I am today. Okay. So we want to talk about money and emotions and you just touched on that. So how to stay grounded. What do you think about with emotions and money? When I think about that, I think about how you're raised, your beliefs around money, your beliefs around spending, your beliefs around how you impulse shop or whatever the the case may be, where if you're sad, if you're feeling frustrated, buying something may give you that hit of satisfaction. We see that all the time or people who hold on to things and we could go down that rabbit hole too of just how you spend your money and the, the way that you put value on things. It's a big emotional tie. I know a lot of people, as you were talking about maybe the coffee, your special coffee in the morning or people going to the nail salon or the hair, hair salon, that's kind of that's something that they hang on to and they have a hard time giving that up and there's a lot of emotions tied to that. So talk to a little bit about how you view emotions as it is t- tied to money. Yeah, well, I love that you said, you know, um, how we grew up around our money. We, o- we often think of that as, oh, I just learned how to spend or I learned how to save, but we're actually picking up emotional habits and behaviors around our money just based on those individuals who are around us. And so first and foremost, it's so important to actually pause and think through back in the day, and I mean, go way back, right? From 13 and younger, how was money in my childhood or growing up that is, you know, I have beliefs potentially in my subconscious that I'm not just thinking of on a daily basis that truly are impacting how I am behaving with my finances and my money. And so when I'm coaching my students, we don't start first with budgeting. We start first there with unpacking what that is. Because, you know, I say you've been carrying around a big old suitcase like baggage Mm -hmm. and we get to pause and open it up, unpack it and identify the things if they've been serving us really well. Cause it doesn't mean that you didn't learn some good things about your money growing up. We get to put those back in the suitcase, but the things that are no longer serving us, the stress around our money, the negative mindset around our money, um, the not feeling comfortable with money and spending it immediately when we have it, or not being afraid to spend money, holding on tightly to money because it feels quote unquote secure. Mm -hmm. We get to decide not to carry those with us and move forward. The thing that I want to give just a personal example, as you're saying this, just as if it's helpful is, you know, I grew up in a very blue collar environment, all of my family's blue collar workers. And 
we did not have a lot of money. So I, my beliefs were very much of lack and, but, but they never outwardly said we don't have money. I just sensed it. And my mom was always cutting coupons and like using coupons anytime we would go to the store. And I was always the one wearing the less nice clothes of my friends, like those types of things. And we always drove used cars because my dad's a mechanic. And so, you know, it's that grease under the fingernails type of environment. And I remember when I was finally working in my you know career now as a therapist that I had to get a new car because my car had broken down and it was not, not fixable. I truly had to just scrap it and get a new car. And I remember during that process, I was like, okay, well, I guess I need to, my dad told me growing up, like never have a car payment. Like you don't need a car payment. You can get a very cheap car and never have a car payment. That was the belief like that just drilled in my head. And so I remember when it was time to get a new car, I was dating my boyfriend, now husband at the time. Uh, and he was like, oh, okay, so here's what we do. We go, and we look at cars. I'm like, yeah, but I can't have a car payment. <laughs> and he's like, why? <laughs> and I was like, because my dad told me. <laughs> right? He's like, well, you have a job now and you can actually like, look, let's look at your budget. You could actually afford a car payment now. And that was like, a, that's an example of like how you're raised and the beliefs that are just ingrained where all of a sudden you go, Oh wait a minute! That I'm cha- I'm doing a challenging of my beliefs system, and it was really helpful. Very scary, I must say, super scary because spending money is very uncomfortable for me. So I always have panic attacks when it's like, even though we have money, I have to really think things through before. It has to make sense to me. It has to feel good for me. And it's so interesting how that has evolved over time. But I assume that everyone has a story somewhat similar to how you grew up and your beliefs around it. And I have the opposite story, which is that my family, my dad was a really successful entrepreneur. We had like anything you wanted. It was not a big deal. I remember sitting, being in high school, and my dad got a Prius the first year that it came out and we always only leased cars. And I sat and he like took me with him to the dealership and I was 16 and he was signing the lease forms for his Prius. And he looked at me, he goes, do you want one? Like he was like ordering an appetizer. It just like, so for me, I've had the opposite where I've had to learn like money is not an unlimited resource and you can't act like it is. And like, you know, we live in a very modest neighborhood in a small, you know, small house. And but we both my husband and I work and I still every single month I'm like, oh, we're out of money again. Okay. <laughs> but then it's like, oh, but I also, you know, drive a like really new car and and in my mind it's like, but this is how it is. Like I'm I deserve to drive a new car. Like it's fine. I should be driving a new car. And like, oh well, I'm just gonna go ahead and buy that because you know, like we'll get more money later. Like and it's So it's interesting. It's always interesting for me to hear Joy talk about like, oh, you know, I grew up never wanting to buy anything where I was the opposite. I grew up never thinking twice about buying something. And I've had to really like grapple with, to me, it's almost, it almost feels like the way that I hear people describe having food issues where they're like, oh, I just eat and I eat so much because I like, I'm like, well, I deserve this. And, you know, I earned it. And like, I really can have that mentality around it where I'm like, well, you know, I deserve this treat yourself, but like my whole life. You just pointed out something really important, which is a lot of our habits and behaviors around money. They often very much mimic how our habits and behaviors are around food. And I love that the two of you are so different because 
we have a lot of judgment around people, how people use their money or how they choose to use their money. But what we don't ever do is take a step back to say, hey, maybe that's something that they learned growing up subconsciously that they weren't actually choosing to do. And what's really powerful when we talk about our emotions and our money is, you know, our brains are these amazing things and they put us into these habits. And I think often we think of a habit as being something just kind of physical or it's like, oh, I create a habit around working out at 6 a.m. or whatever that is. But we can have habits around our emotions and emotional triggers or feeling tired. And so if we pause for a hot minute before we're buying something, it will be really profound because you get to check in with yourself to say, hey, how am I feeling? Am I tired? Am I angry? Did I have a long week? Do I really want this? And that just little hot minute is actually enough to give you space to think, no, actually, I really do want this. It's not a matter of not spending or buying things or buying things that you want. It's a matter of doing it with intention and being very present when you're doing it. Otherwise, you know, we get through a week and we had a rough day. And on Thursday, we just went bananas on the Amazon app because we had a really long week and we were exhausted and tired. And so when we're talking about our money, we're also talking about our time and our energy because we need both of the, we need all three of those resources to live our life. And so identifying how you learned about money, what are the beliefs you have about it? What are the emotions? How do you feel about it right now? And actually just starting to be mindful of your spending habits, that in itself is enough to just do a 180 for so many of my students because they've never actually done that before. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point of just a starting point. That's kind of what I was going to ask next is what is where is the starting point for people just so our listeners can kind of, if they're having issues or just want to explore this with themselves is what can they do to start? And just you're saying being mindful, just evaluating how you were brought up to think about money and really just being present, kind of a lot of the ways, again, it mimics eating of just being present with what you're doing, being mindful of your behaviors and check in with how you're feeling at the time that maybe you're spending. And I think that that step alone is really powerful because I know a lot of people who money seems to be an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Perhaps you talk with your partner, but you really don't talk about it really with your friends. You know, if you get a raise, you hesitate to tell people because you're bragging or whatever the case may be. And so I hear a lot of people talking about that too, where my friend gets a raise. That's amazing. And celebrating it. And it's like, this is nothing to be ashamed of. It's just an odd thing that we've developed this this, uh, almost secrecy around money and that it feels like looking at it is scary. So I wonder too, if that's how people get into debt because they're like, I don't want to see it. Credit cards. I don't have to see it. I don't have to look at it. It goes away, pile the bills in the corner, and then I'll deal with it later. That type of mentality. Oh, 100%. She's just nodding, nodding, nodding. Yes. I can't, like my head's going to fall off. I'm nodding so much. I think it's so interesting though, that like, this is something that every single person is, I mean, it's the cornerstone of our lifestyles is being able to afford things or not afford things. And yet so few of us feel not just comfortable, but like even allowed to talk about it. And like, I know that, I mean, I was just, as we were talking and thinking about, okay, who, you know, who else in my life? And obviously my husband comes to mind and he was, was raised in a family where no one talked about money. It was considered very rude. It was considered completely just like, it was not a topic that you broached even with your spouse. And so he and I even like have a hard time talking about it amongst ourselves because for him, it's like, you don't talk about that. And not only do you not talk about it, but if you do talk about it, 
it's only because it's a fight. And like, there's no just casual way to bring it up. And, you know, I think a lot of people were raised like that, where again, it's like, and I feel like we're making so many analogies. I'm at least making a lot of analogies, but it's almost like an abstinence only sex education where it's like, you know, you're, you're really not taught how it works. You're just taught the absence of it. You know, you're sort of, sort of taught, like, it'll just figure itself out. And then like, you get in the bedroom and you're like, I'm sorry, what? How does this work? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening in here? That is, oh my gosh, like 100%. So money impacts us every day of our life for the rest of your life, everyone. And it is bananas that it is such a taboo topic. And we learned that. We learned that it's a taboo topic. And so we don't talk about it. And that's a problem because we have to interact with it every day. And as Joy mentioned, it can cause a, it can cause us to spin into avoidance because we learn, most of us learn, that money is stressful, money is bad. So a lot of us secretly want more money, but then we judge individuals who have money, right? There's we gotta pick one, pick pick the one you want. But when we're in that space where we think of something as bad as stressful, guess what you do? You go away from it, you avoid mm-hmm. it. Yeah, right? you don't wanna you don't wanna face it. It's very uncomfortable. We totally procrastinate the things that we don't want to feel. (laughs) Oh my gosh, 100%, right? Our brain going towards pleasure and away from pain. If we always associate money with being hard or not fun or, you know, just a stressful thing, you're not going to want to deal with it. And talking about money with a partner can also be really challenging and hard. But you mentioned, Claire, which is really important is identifying where you each kind of learned about money. What, what are our beliefs about money and how do we feel about it? And one of the biggest tips I can say for in couples or individuals who are sharing finances to start talking about it is to identify, number one, go through that space of, well, how'd you learn about money? Was it stressful? Was it easy? Did you worry about it? And the second thing is actually to create your visions. Like what's your vision? Because that actually gives you this North star that then you can start to use your money, time and energy to get you there. Can you give an example of like your vision? Are we talking like vision board stuff? Are we talking about like, I want to meet this number of, uh, I want to make this much money in a year. Yeah, it could be either one, right? So I actually find visioning for my students can be very hard, especially for um, my students who identify as women. It's like they don't give themselves permission to say that's the dream life I want. And so this can be a challenging exercise, but it can be, I want to hit X amount in a salary, or wouldn't it be great if you're with a partner, like to buy this house in this neighborhood that you start to actually identify some shared goals together that you're working towards. It's super Mm -hmm. important. And for those that are in avoidance with their money, we have to we have to change the narrative around our money and we have to start to rewire our brain about how we think about it and so one of the things because it is so emotionally charged and you know money is a thing it can't it can't take on an emotion unless you give it one right? So we can start looking at our bank account every day for like two minutes, just a hot minute looking at it, just being curious about what you spent the day before. And that's it. You're moving on nothing else. And Mm -hmm. part of that is to really just help you desensitize yourself, like peel back the emotion from it so that we can actually get to the logical actions, right? Money Mm -hmm. can be very logical, but we have to kind of separate the emotional part of it first before we can do that. Before we go to our next topic, we're going to take a quick break to hear from this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor of the podcast is our favorite blue light blocking glasses, Blue Blocks. 
Blue Blacks was created because they were unhappy with the quality and lack of science behind leading blue light blocking glasses brands. The other companies were mass producing unevidence-backed products in China with no understanding about how light impacts health. At Blue Blocks, they created three specific lenses for daytime, nighttime, and for color therapy, exactly in line with what the peer-reviewed academic literature was suggesting. Their products are made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia and are shipped all over the world. They have three lenses, Sleep Plus, Summer Glow, and Blue Light. They're the the only company who offers blue light filtering lenses backed by the latest science. No substitute is made that will sacrifice optimal for cost. They have produced the most efficient and effective blue light filtering lenses on the market. They're the only company who offer the full range of lens technologies. Every member of their team is well-versed in the science, having researched light and health for years. Rest assured, they'll place optimal health before profit, and they'll only stock the best blue light filtering technology available. All of their lenses are manufactured and fitted in Australia Optics Labs, not overseas. This ensures a higher level of quality in each pair as opposed to mass-produced, cheaper options available, which often fail quality control tests. Their team constantly monitors the latest fashion trends and launches new lines of frames every 6 to 12 months. At Blue Blocks, their team makes sure you have the latest on-trend styles so you remain as cool as last season. They want to cater for everyone, so they offer a custom-made prescription service available. Whatever your prescription or reading magnification, they can make them into Blue Blocks for you. They're the only company that offers a send in your own frame service. Send them an old pair of frames or your favorite frames and they'll turn them into blue blocks for you. They cater to everyone, including kids, and they have the largest selection of frames to choose from, whereas other companies have only a few pair. You can support the podcast by supporting Blue Blocks by using discount code JOY, that's me, discount code JOY at checkout. They also have a mission to give back. Blue Blocks is also the only blue light glasses company who has a charity partnership. They partner with Restoring Vision in their buy one, get one campaign. For each pair of Blue Blocks they sell, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift it to someone in need. Their mission is to give the gift of sight to those who cannot afford it. Thank you so much for supporting Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. The discount code is JOY. Okay, and we're back. We were just talking about emotions and money and how we can start to face that. How do we start to have that conversation? What are the tools that you give your students to say, we're going to dive in. We're just going to expose ourselves to this discomfort. Oh, yeah. It is going to be uncomfortable, right? If you've been avoiding your money, it's uncomfortable. But I always say, and we know this, what's uncomfortable will become comfortable. I always say it's like when you're going to a new fitness class and you're that new kid and you don't know where everything is and everyone kind of has their flow and you just feel like a total tool. Cause you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is really embarrassing. But the time you show up to the next class or your third class, you've got it down. You feel really good. It's the same thing with our money. So number one, looking at that bank account every day with curiosity and no judgment. You have to, no judgment, right? There's so much shame and embarrassment that we take on either having debt, 
debt or not having enough in our savings or emergency fund or retirement or whatever it is. We just have to let that go, especially in the season of life that we're in right now. We just got to let it go, right? And so starting to build that relationship with our money is really powerful. And I actually encourage my students to think of it like a human relationship that they care about. So one thing that we always want to do for relationships that we care about is spend time with the person. So we have to spend time with our money. Managing our money is a skill. And guess what? You can't get good at a skill if you don't practice it. And so there is no right or wrong. You get better at it. You get better at managing it for you the more you do it. And so spending time with it on a daily basis is huge because not only does that, it starts to desensitize you a little bit from the emotion so that you can actually get to a space where you can create a budget and make some financial decisions without all this heightened anxiety or emotion that's like swimming around it. And you can actually move that money that's going to work for you. The second thing is a vision. So what, what kind of life do you want to live? You might be living it right now and it might be good and that's awesome. Or you might be in a career that you don't love, or you might want to move to another state. But if we don't identify that, we can't actually move our money in order for us to get there. And that is money is a tool to help us live our best life. That's what it is. But if we don't identify that life or our goals or the things that we want to do, we can't get there. And I always tell my students, it's kind of like charting your path, a road trip to New York City, and you're saying, I'm starting from Florida, when in reality, you're actually in Missouri. So part of that vision, identify the vision. And the next step, identify where you are right now. So you got to look at your numbers. You just like rip the bandaid off. We have to know where we are now and be where we we are now and it's okay because we can move on from that to wherever we want to go but if you don't know your current situation right now you are going to be on a really really long probably painful road trip to get there and it's going to get worse it's kind of like when uh, I'm working with teens and they're like oh, I just don't do my homework I don't turn it in I'm like you do realize that the longer you do this the harder it is to get out of this hole. And so staying ahead of the game will be so much easier for you. It's easier said than done, but this is an example of the same thing where the more you avoid it, the bigger of a problem it becomes. But then the bigger of a problem it becomes, the more you want to avoid it. And then you just get really, really scared of the big bad money monster in your house. So I think the other thing that you were talking about that made me think of is shame. And a lot of people have shame around this and really feeling like they've failed in some way and that they can never see the light at the end of the tunnel. So give some steps as far as, okay, so they've looked at their money. They maybe you're getting more comfortable with their finances and what that looks like. What do we do next? And do we continue to just have that conversation around emotions as we go along? It's going to get uncomfortable. There's going to be moments where you you still feel like this is just impossible. How do you kind of chip away at starting to get out of debt? And I feel like part of that shame too is the belief that everyone else has it figured out except for me. And so I think, you know, we've done a pretty good job so far in this episode of debunking that. But just to make it clear, most people, it sounds like what you're saying, don't have a very good handle on it. That's definitely been my experience. You know, most of the people I'm close with experience. So I just think that's really interesting that that is definitely a story I think most of us tell ourselves. Yeah. And and as you were saying that, Claire, it made me think too of we're, we could be talking about people with money and without money, right? I mean, this is like all across the range of oh, budgets. Oh, 100%. Yes. Like that's so, kind of what I meant at the beginning beginning of this too is like I have you know up until the last couple of years never been in a in a 
point in my life where I had to worry about money, but that doesn't mean that it didn't stress me out and I didn't feel shame about it because I felt shame about thinking like, oh, I don't, I don't have to worry about it. And therefore I don't know what I'm doing. It's like that. I don't know what I'm doing was still there. My consequences were lower, but that there was still this like looming thing at the end of the tunnel of like one day, this is going to catch up to you. And like, you're wasting all this time that you could be figuring this out without any consequences. And, you know, like, look at what you're spending and just, you know, I think either way, whether you have it or not, if you don't know what you're doing with it, it feels very stressful. So I think that's that comparison that we do with everything. And so people just assume, well, they have a lot of money. They don't have any worries. You know, you look at the Kardashians and you're just like, oh, they must have the perfect life. It's like that whole mentality. I'm like, people still need to find it, but, you know, manage their finances and have a budget. It's just not as simple as it sounds. And money doesn't solve all of our problems. So how do we just focus on our own paper <laughs> stay in our lane, don't look at anybody else's test and move forward. Oh my gosh, yes. It is, you know, we, in our world, most of us, if we own a property, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Yes, it's different than credit card debt because it's an asset, but it's still debt, yet we don't put as much judgment on ourselves for that. Actually, that's really acceptable. And so debt is, it is what it is, right? It's just a number. And it's so easy in our lives to actually look at someone else and assume they have it all together. When here's the reality, a lot of my students who come to me that truly are like paycheck to paycheck, they know exactly where every cent is going. And it's the individuals who maybe are in that six-figure world or don't have to worry about it as much that truly are just kind of living paycheck to paycheck, but because of their actions and their choices, not because it needs to be that way. And so first of all, we have to keep our eye on the prize. And the reason is, is because we're all unique. I Yes, there are best practices that we can learn around our money. But your money plan is going to look very different than someone else because your vision is different. The life you want to live is different. Someone wants to retire when they're 45 and the next person wants to be chained to their desk until they're 80. Like, don't pry me away from my job. I love it. That means we're going to move your money differently. So there is no cookie cutter approach. Just because your friend's doing something doesn't mean that that's the right move for you because your vision might look very different. And so chipping away at the debt, right? So when we're first, we want to know how we learned about our money. Then we want to actually like know what our vision is. And we have to actually start, Joy, you were mentioning, like if we're in this space of avoidance and it's just like really painful and we're uncomfortable, we have to start changing that narrative. Managing our money is going to take some effort. There is no, there is no quick silver bullet. You have to actually build a relationship. And so we actually have to start to tell ourselves that it's fun and we like doing it. Like legit, just tell yourself when you check your bank account, this is fun. I love doing this, right? Neuroplasticity, use it. <laughs> Help rewire your brain to think differently about your money. The second thing is like, you have to have a budget. Let me debunk this real quick. Everyone assumes that a budget means that it is like a diet and is super restrictive and means that I can't have fun or live my life. Yeah. That is just not the way it works. Mm -hmm. And most individuals don't even try to do a budget because they're afraid of that. And the reality is a really good budget, it feels pretty fluid. Like you aren't really feeling like you're restricting yourself, quote unquote, because you've made choice, big word, you've made choice in the things that matter to you based on your values, based on your vision. 
And so a budget is something that allows you so much so much flexibility and movement in your life to get to that dream life, to those goals, because you know why you're doing it. That that deep connection, why, why you want to stick to the budget or why you want to put money in that savings account, you know why. You can visualize it. You can feel it. And that is what I tell my students will help you in that come to Jesus moment at Target when you're about to buy all the graphic tees for $500 that will like keep you on track because we can use that emotion to our advantage, but we have to, we have to know the vision. We have to know why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same way of having a roadmap as a budget. It's not a restrictor. And I think a lot of people equate it with what you said as being restrictive. And I think that if you look at it in the other, in the other way of, no, you just need a roadmap because Scott's, my husband's really good at doing budgets. And that always gives me anxiety. And because I go from the place of like, oh, that just feels like I'm restricted. And he's like, don't you want to know where things need to go? I'm like, so he's like the roadmap person. And I'm more of like, budgets make me feel suffocated. <laughs> Which is, I think yeah. it, I like, I loved your analogy with the diet because Joy, diets also make you feel suffocated. Like once you tell Joy, like, these are the rules you have to follow. She's like, no. And it just wants to like, just throw that off immediately. Makes you feel suffocated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we know when we do something like hardcore 180, we can, we can use our willpower and our grit for a little while to keep us on track, but eventually it's exhausting and it's not easy anymore, right? Our brains love easy. So we have to make managing our money and our budget easy so that we can stick to it. And the in most individuals, when they start creating a budget, they go to that diet place and they just create a, what I call a fantasy budget. They're like, oh, this is what I spend on this and this is what I'm going to stick to. And they haven't actually looked at their real spending because guess what? It's usually real different from what you think it is in your head compared yeah. to what you're actually doing. And like most banks will give you reports on like which categories you're spending on. At least I like I have Wells Fargo and it'll kind of give you a chart of like, this is where you put your money this month. And so even if people don't want to sit down just yet, I'm pretty sure most banks have that feature. Or if you do Mint, Mint's a great way to kind of see where things are going and give you that visual snapshot. And if you just want to start there, you know, I think that's just a little bit of a get to give you an idea of where to start. I feel like a lot of the conversation we've been having is kind of around like reining in your spending habits, you know, just being realistic, figuring out what you have to work with. But let's talk about people who maybe have lost their jobs in the last couple of weeks. What can people do today now to relieve a little bit of that stress? Like if you, Brie, lost your job, what would you immediately do? Yeah. The strategies that you talked about for like money management, budgeting, cash flow, like let's talk about how it relates to what we're do- going through now as a nation. Yeah. Cause yeah. like if you all of a sudden don't have an income, that's, you know, it's not just about not spending that, you know, not buying the extra t-shirt at Target. Right. In the Starbucks, like people are now like, okay, now I have to completely shut almost everything down that I was paying for. <laughs> totally. It's a different space, right? We already discussed this. Money's already a charged subject. It already feels really emotional and you add a pandemic onto it and it is a totally different can of worms. And so part of this is we want to help individuals get a little bit grounded, right? This is scary. For I don't know anyone who hasn't not who has not been impacted by this pandemic. And for so many individuals, their financial circumstances look very different than they did a month ago. And it doesn't help to say you need to have an emergency fund. Everyone knows that. Newsflash, right? That's very logical. We all know we need it. Um, this is a moment where we're feeling it. 
And so instead of spinning in that space, we want to be able to take some steps and relieve some of that stress because the reality is, you know, we're already stressed out. Our cortisol levels are going bananas, especially if we've lost our job. And that is not a space where our brains can actually take some like logical action. And so for any of my students who are in a position right now where it's feeling scary, they've lost their job, they're on a furlough, they have majorly reduced hours. The steps that we want them to take is first and foremost, instead of being in the like, I don't have enough money coming in because that's not specific enough for your brain. It just will allow you to spin in this space of worrying and anxiety. We actually need to know what it is. So if I say, you know, I don't have enough money coming in, or I say, I know based on all of my numbers now, I need to find $300 extra per month for the next three months. That's very specific. And that gives your brain enough space to be like, okay, I can get very focused on my actions that are actually going to help me move towards that to solve that problem. And so it goes back to knowing your numbers. And so I telling my students or anyone, if we're you know, doing talks right now, it is you want to know that cash flow really high level, right? How much money do you have coming in right now? Recognizing you might need to do it for the current month you're in, and it might look different for the next month, right? So just write that number down. How much do you know is coming in? It might be $0. It's okay. Write it down. We have to know where we are, right? Then we need to know what are those survival expenses? I often talk about this as fixed expenses, but I call fixed expenses, meaning they are required for your survival. Now, most of us are in a space right now where we already really know what those are because we've been living in a pandemic for over a month now, at least like in shelter in place. And so what are the things that you need to keep food on your table, roof over your head, be able to work at home if you have that luxury, be able to look for a job if you need to. So it's like internet, your medicine, groceries, your healthcare, rent or your mortgage. What are the basic needs where it's like if push come to shove, I need these and I know how much those cost total. Then we go on to what are our minimum debt payments. And again, this is all just to get an idea of like what is our cash situation right now. Minimum debt payments because If we can, we want to be able to stay good on our credit, which means 35% of your credit score is making the minimum payments on time. We might not be able to do that, but let's at least know what those numbers are. So credit cards, student loans, yes, there's stimulus that can help you if you have federal student loans, but just know what those are, minimum payments and that total. And then your variable expenses are the nice to have. The reality is right now, most of us have are not doing those. We have given them up. But if you're in a situation where you have lost your job, there's probably more wiggle room that you have. And so now you know how much money is coming in. You know what your survival expenses are and your minimum debt payments. Add those up and then subtract your expenses from what you have coming in. You're either going to have money left over, you're going to have zero, or you're going to have zero or negative money. In any situation, those are your three options, right? That puts you in a place. It might be hard to look at the number, but that gives you a North Star, a very good target to look for. So if you're negative, we need to find money. And here are ways we can find money. Do you have an emergency fund? If you don't, cash is queen right now. So that means we're not going to be trying to pay off debt. We're making minimum payments on debt, right? We need to try to get as much cash as we can. We're going to be looking at unemployment options if you have lost your job. We're going to be looking at those student loan options if you have federal student loans. 
so that we are not making payments right now and that's giving us some more cash flow. You're going to look at your credit cards. I know most people will be shocked to hear a money coach say this, but do you have credit cards? And if you do, how much available credit do you have on them? Worst case scenario, y'all, you might need to use them to survive and that's okay. What of your expenses can you put on a credit card? You can buy groceries on a credit card. You can probably like you know, put gas on a credit card, other payments, identify what those are because yeah, it's not ideal. Decisions we're making right now are not ideal, but they're the choices that we have. And our main goal is to keep us safe and secure and alive, right? We're in survival mode right now. Yeah. I was going to ask if that's, you know, is it, is now the time for people to work with their credit card companies and say, Hey, can you reduce my interest rate? Or, I mean, are those the things that people should be asking? Um, Because if you're going to be charging more on your credit card, perhaps you can, you know, get some interest rates lowered. Or if you have a credit card with no interest rate, even better, you know, but but those are the things that I think about too, of don't be afraid to ask for where people can kind of give you a break. I'm sure, you know, now's the time a lot of people are maybe assuming that this is just the deal that they've been given, but that might be something to work out to, you know, or even defer payments like with student loans. I know a lot of people are asking if they're in like a private contract with a landlord. I know, you know, big companies probably can't let you bypass rent, but I know just working out rent with some of their landlords and saying, can I skip this month and pay when we get out of this mess. So I think that's the other thing too, is you never know till you ask. I think some people assume with money that they're just stuck with it and having a conversation too of just saying, Hey, can I, can I work with you on this? How can I delay this? Or can I pay you in a few months on this? Totally. I mean, ego gets pushed aside right now, y'all. There's no embarrassment. There's no shame in asking for help in this moment that you're in. Well, even with unemployment, I'm hearing people just, you know, we're even working with patients in our clinic of people saying, I never thought, I mean, I'm a professional woman. I never thought I would be in a place where I would have to file for unemployment. I've never been in this place. I've never been in a place where I had no money coming in at all for the first time in 50 years or, you know, whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of firsts here that people are dealing with too, where they've had steady jobs, steady income their entire life. And they never thought I'm doing air quotes. I would be that person who had to file for unemployment. And that's just a really bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people going through this too. Yeah. And we, you know, there's no handbook to go through a pandemic, right? This is a, this is a first for everyone alive right now, truly for the most part. And it's scary. It's uncomfortable. And we can have a lot of embarrassment and shame around it when it's, there's, you know, there's no room for that because you didn't cause it. There was nothing you could do. So you're absolutely right, Joy. Like we want to not assume that there's not, there's not an option for us. So yes, calling, you know, the person who, if you're renting, yes, call your mortgage. You might be shocked, right? It could mean they're going to defer payments. It's not like those payments go away. You're going to pay it on the back end of the loan and you might still be gaining interest, but it's okay, right? Cash is queen right now. If you, we can get cash in the door so that you can actually put food on the table, have shelter, all the things, that's what we do. It's probably going to come at a cost eventually, but it's okay, right? So even, even your cable, right? What things can you level down? Do you have this big old package that you don't use? Like start to look at all of your expenses and identify the things. Nine times out of 10, when you call people and say you're going to cancel, they'll give you a better deal. Oh, for sure. I've tried to, I've tried to like cancel Thrive Market subscription so many times. And then they're like, 
how about $5 a year? You know, like, <laughs> like it's just insane of like how the, the deals they'll give you. We actually ended up through this pandemic refinanced uh, our mortgage payment because interest rates just went, you know, and so my husband's like, let's take advantage of this. So we refinanced our house and we're saving a crap ton of money yeah, now. We, we did too. <laughs> yeah, ladies. <laughs> Well, and I think it's also important. I think that we get into this mindset that our savings is for an emergency. We shouldn't touch it. And it's like, this is the emergency. We're in it. It's okay to be going to your savings right now. And for me, like that's a mindset I've had to get around is like, no, 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 that's the savings. If this isn't an emergency, this isn't then what is? Emer- yeah. I don't know if we'll ever hit this level of an emergency. Let's pray. Let us pray. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is it. Like it's okay to crack open that piggy bank right now because, and also this is temporary. If you're furloughed, you know, you have a good chance of being brought back on, even if you're unemployed, like this is not going to last forever. And I think something that's so hard for people who are in like, you know, early 30s to early 40s is flashbacks of the 2008 recession. And I was talking about one of my, about this to one of my bosses where it was like, he's a, a little bit older than I am. And he's like maybe in his late later 40s. And he was like, yeah, you know, just you don't need to worry about getting laid off. Like we'll cross that bridge if we get to it. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I graduated from college in 2009. I had like, I couldn't get a job for, I was an unpaid intern for three years. Like I've been laid off before. I have, you know, I have this deep seated subconscious belief that there are no jobs. And I think a lot of people are kind of being hit with that again, that, you know, we entered a job market or very early on in our careers, we found ourselves in a situation where being unemployed was just, there were no options. I mean, I remember I was a lift operator and there, I was a lift people out there making $8 an hour who were pilots and like doctors, you know, who had been furloughed. And it's like, you're now a lift operator. And now we go back and we see our friends who still work there and they joke like, yeah, all these lifties are just, you know, these bums. It's like, yeah, because when we worked here in 2009, we were with all these literal pilots like <laughs> and who had been unemployed. And so I just, I just want to say that also for everyone to just have this reality check that this is not forever. And if you do need to open, you know, literally crack open your piggy bank, like this is the time and to allow yourself to utilize those safety nets that you have in place if you do have them. Yes. And if you don't have them, it's okay. Right. But you mentioned something that I think is really powerful. Number one, it's temporary. We're in a season of sacrifice and that is always temporary, right? It might not be as short as we want it to. It might go longer than we hope, but Um, You also mentioned something too, is like you went through a recession and that was really tough coming out of college. And here's the thing for everyone who's gone through that. You're still here. You're resourceful. And so you have to remind yourself, you're like, holy smokes, I'm still alive. I'm still kicking. There's a reason why I'm here. I can get through this. It means I'm made to get through this. It might feel really uncomfortable and hard, but I'm going to look for the possibility. I'm going to look for money. I tell everyone that look for money right now. It changes your lens in your brain. So instead of being like, oh my gosh, I got laid off. There aren't any jobs. It's like, where do I find money? Like then you start, you open up to more possibility of like rethinking what is, what is possible for you. Yeah. I love that because I think back to the, every single time I've been fearful of, you know, losing a job, ending up homeless. And you know, those are the types of extremes I go to. I always tell myself that I'm like, I've always been able to figure it out. I've always been able to figure it out no matter what is I, what it is. I've always been okay. 
And so that's a good reminder. And I love that you focus on money management being a form of self-care. So let's wrap up by talking a little bit more about steps that people can do, especially now, perhaps if they're getting a stimulus check and how people can use that to be, you know, to maximize their situation right now. Totally. So yes, I believe that managing your money is like the biggest act of self-care you can do for yourself because it's part of your life every day, right? And it's either feeling really good or it's causing a lot of stress in your life. And we don't want that, right? We have a stressful enough world sometimes. So right now, if you have an emergency fund, like Claire said, this is the emergency. It's time to use it. And that might feel overwhelming too, but if you know how much money's coming in and if you know what your expenses are and you have an emergency fund, guess what? You can figure out how long that will last you based on if you have a gap or not, right? So that's the first thing. Number two, if you don't have an emergency fund, cash is clean. I've said it 20 million times. I'll keep saying it. So if you are getting a stimulus check, that is probably going to one or two areas, your current cash flow to help you survive right now, or maybe you're breaking even and it feels okay. Move that money into a savings or you're checking just wherever it is as like a holder of like, you know, I'm keeping that cash so that I can go longer if I need to. The other options are um, student loans. So if you have federal student loans and they qualify, you have zero interest until September 30th and you have no payments. So for some, for my household, for example, my husband's master's program, that's an almost $600 payment a month that no longer has to go right? So you're not going to gain interest on that loan and you don't, you have that money that's freed up. So if you need cash flow right now, use that money. And so some questions I'm getting from students are like, well, I have a really awesome emergency fund. My question is how awesome, like truly how long can you go and how secure do you feel in your job? And I don't have credit card debt. Should I just continue to pay the student loan down or what should I do? It's like, yeah, if you're feeling good about your emergency fund, you feel solid in your job, things feel good. Like truly like in your gut, you're like, I feel pretty good. And you're not just in an optimistic bubble. Use this time to pay down those student loans, like rock and roll on it. Because when we come out of this, your payment's going to be lower because you've actually made some really good progress on the principal. If you have credit cards right now, minimum payments right now, if you're feeling good, again, emergency fund your job. Yeah, you can go ahead and pay down debt if you want to. But I always recommend, let's just, let's just cruise for a few months. Get, get some cash flow build up, put some more money in there, and let, let's just see how that feels. For those individuals who are in unemployment right now, re, reassure that when the, the additional stimulus comes, which is if you're in unemployment, you get what your state will offer you, right? And that ranges based on the state of what that could be. I think Colorado is like a little over 600 at the max, right? 600 a week. When you qualify that for unemployment in your state, you also qualify for the $600 extra per week from the federal stimulus. So that for a lot of individuals, it will make them almost whole money wise. And that's a really, really big deal. And it also Mm -hmm. is extending those benefits. And I read that you can also get a penalty-free withdrawal if you have a 401k due to the coronavirus, right? Totally. If you need to go there. If you need to go there. Yes, not ideal. I would make that as a very, very last resort. Like last resort, yeah. 
Yes, but the um, for medical, for things of that nature, that 10% tax is waived right now, which is what would happen if you were pulling out of your retirement funds before, if, before 59 and a half is the age that you can start pulling out from it. So there are options. The biggest thing I can say is know where you are right now and then start going and exploring your options so you know the numbers. Knowing the numbers right now might feel scary, but it's actually the one thing that is going to give you so much relief and make you feel good because it's the not knowing that spins us in so much anxiety and causes us so much stress. Facing it and going right towards that discomfort is the only way that we're going to solve this. So I just encourage everybody to take this advice, even if it's scary, know that you're not alone. I think everyone is feeling this in some way, shape or form. 100%. I mean, I don't know anyone who hasn't been stressed out. And even if everything feels good in your life and your financial situation hasn't changed, just the mere fact that we're having to stay in our homes and not have social interaction. And this is tough. This is a tough time for people. So you are definitely not alone. If this is a first time where you've ever been laid off or you've had to get, get unemployment or whatever it is, it's okay. Our life is full of a lot of firsts and it's fine. There's no handbook for this. We're all doing the best that we can. We're all doing the best we can. Yeah. Your main goal is to stay alive right now and you owe it to yourself to call and ask. Ego aside, you owe it to yourself to call and ask so that you can be as whole as you can right now. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bree, for your time today. This has been so helpful. And I encourage listeners to submit questions. Maybe we can have a follow-up too, because this is such an important discussion. And selfishly, I just want to keep talking about this so I can become more comfortable with it. But um, let our listeners know where they can find you on social, on your website, and perhaps if they want to just reach out and work with you. Yeah. So they can find me on Instagram at the school of Betty. My website is the school of Betty.com. I am on Facebook. I spend most of my time on Instagram and you can see all of my offerings. I have some really quick hits. My breaking up with broke package is super low cost. Um, you'll have a code joy that you can use to get a discount on that. Sorry, Claire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We're going to use our, we're going to use our usual discount code for listeners and the discount code will be joy. So we'll put that in our show notes of how you guys can access that to work with Brie. Yeah. And you can just see all of my offerings. I have a 12 week fierce finances program. That's really powerful, but I am here. I answer all of the emails. I answer any private message that you send me on Instagram. And I'm just here in this space and period of time to help relieve some of your stress and just give you some actions that you can take to move forward. Thank you so, so much. And last question that's totally not related to money, but I totally wanted to follow up with your theater nerdness because I know that that's on your bio too. Are you currently working in the theater? I am. I am currently at the DCPA um, halftime. So I work about 20 hours there doing like marketing insights and strategy for them. Um, but I am a theater nerd. I was a theater oh, major and I so know you're probably sad about Mean Girls. Yes. we. I was just going to say. <laughs> devastated. Like, we were supposed to devastated. go on Friday. We had tickets like, and I like, you know, since like November and I get, of course I understand. I get it. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I'm not so mad. So, so sad. But I also feel for the DCPA because I'm like, how are they doing? Are they doing okay? You're doing 20 hours a week right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How are they doing? Are they doing okay? <laughs> the DCPA is weathering this like most arts organizations, right? Or, or any um, large group gathering organization where we just, we're not, you know, people, 2,800 people can't go into a theater right now and sit and watch a show. 
And so, you know, it's a, it's a bummer. There, there have been major shifts. There have been major tours that have been canceled and it just kind of is what it is. But the one thing that you can guarantee about the arts community is that they are incredibly resilient. And even in times of struggle, individuals start to turn towards art because art can be um, the narrative, the storytelling, the thing that kind of gets us through. And so, although it feels really rough right now and the organization has had to make some hard decisions, like every organization in the world right now, they'll get through it. We'll pull through it. We will pull through it. And on that note, let's end this week. Bree, you have been just so fun to talk to and so, so helpful. I really appreciate your time. Listeners, please check her out, The School of Betty. And you can email us all of your questions, feedback, maybe questions for Bree, maybe if we do a follow-up episode. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Like we do it.